we don't complain to A players about what Bs and Cs are doing. We, we tell A players they're doing great. All they know is that the company is running great and they're a part of it. A players want to hear opportunity and you got to give it to them. And then you give it to them both in responsibility and you also give it to them in compensation. You make sure you treat A players really good. When you start to have a couple of comrades in arms, a couple of people that care as much as you do, it's very empowering. And you realize that you can grow this thing, need more A players. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. Earlier this year, we invited Kevin Nolan, partner at Nolan Consulting Group and CEO at Nolan Painting, to join us on the podcast to announce the upcoming release of his new book, Organizational Muscle, in the fall of 2023. In the spirit of sharing, Kevin gave us a sneak peek into one of the chapters of the book, Problems, Change, and Continuous Improvement. And now we are back to discuss another. My name is Molly Nolan, and I am your host as we bring back Kevin to talk about hiring talent, or as Kevin so jokingly refers to it as, collecting brains and bodies. This is about building a team, from the strategies of recruiting and understanding your hiring needs to thinking about how you can create a great place to work, improving the need that investment in HR is critical. No matter the time of year, the tools for building a high-performance team should remain relevant, top of mind. And today, Kevin shares the approach he and the team at Nolan Painting have taken over the last 40 plus years to make Nolan Painting what it is today. Today's episode is brought to you by Boolean Review, a gold-level Grand Summit sponsor and a supporting partner of the Summit member group. At Boolean Review, they strive to offer five-star service as you collect five-star reviews. They've helped many Summit members double, triple, and quadruple their reviews, including Lancaster Painting, Webfoot Painting, John Deck Painting, Select Painting, and more. Want to learn more? Reach out on BooleanReview.com. You can also text the founders, Chris and Natalie Kiefer, to find out if they would be a good fit for your growing business. Text the owners at 208-659-0008. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass. All right, Kevin Nolan, welcome back to the podcast. Here for another sneak peek into a chapter of your book coming out this fall, Organizational Muscle. How are you doing, Kev? Good. Thanks very much for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to uh, it's good to have you back. It's good to be highlighting some core topics um, that we speak to a lot with our clients, and obviously our core topics of of your book that um, is coming out. So we've previously talked about the problems, change, and continuous improvement. Um, we will be talking about marketing. We will be talking about the putting structure in a company and all these all these things in the future. Today we're talking about collecting brains and bodies. Yes. Chapter eight. Chapter eight in the book. Um, and we know this is a topic, this is about building your team, right? This is, yeah. 
about yes. building a high performance team, which we both see and, you know, at Nolan Painting and at Nolan Consulting Group is one of the keys to success of any organization. I mean, absolutely. It really, unless you're building that team, you're not building a company or an organization. And I mean, it really is really the most fundamental thing. I remember I first knew I had to, to be good at marketing, but I immediately knew I had to be good at building a team, hiring people, sometimes firing people. It's hard. Getting feedback and all that stuff, but also making people want to work at, at Nolan Painting. Right. Yeah. Right. Making people see the dream, right? <laughs> Absolutely. See the vision. See the vision. And yes. we know that this, you know, the recruiting and building a team topic, I mean, it has ebbs and flows throughout an annual year. There are times of more urgency of trying to add to your team, but, um, and we'll probably hit on that occasionally in this conversation, but the core focus of this, of this discussion is about the overall picture, the relevancy of this topic at any time of year. We are always focusing on building, building our team, right? Absolutely. You know, in our business, it's, it's a very seasonable business, right? House mm -hmm. painting is a seasonal business. So the winters are slow and the the summers are very, very, very busy. And that shift of having to hire a lot of people has just been a dynamic that we've had to deal with in our business. Right. But, but organizational muscle is for really all businesses and they may or may not have that ebb and flow and right. that seasonality that we have built in. So I really wanna be more cognizant of the fact that it's a big picture. You know, I've been at this for 43 years and the, the ebbs and flows actually look over a period of time, just look like, they, they sort of tend to straighten out and you realize you you really just want to be going up. Um, much like the, the, uh, the, the graphic I'm using for organizational muscle, which is a, a person um, holding onto an arrow heading up, mm -hmm. um, either that or holding the arrow up or, or something like that. Always moving in that, that positive direction. Absolutely. Yes. So tell me what, what will folks learn from this chapter? Really, it's just about uh, thinking in terms of the um, the people's perspective that would be working for you and what their experience is like and whether they would tell friends and family to work for you. So the same thing about the customer experience, right? Mm -hmm. What's the employee experience? Is it good? Is it great? Will people refer and talk up your company so other people will join your company. Like right. that's really, that's really the main, it's a law of attraction, right? You want to attract people to what you're building. Totally. And that's the, that's what it's come to. And you know, in the last couple of years, it's actually gotten very challenging, um, but also interesting. Um, we've had to be more creative um, and that creativity is been a good thing. Like it's, it's created a much better job at Nolan painting, which I'm happy about. Good for everybody at the end of the day. Yeah, it was a win. So when you think about your hiring needs, um, whether it's a certain time of year or like you said, any organization is always thinking about how they're looking to add, you know, muscle, physical muscle to their team with more people, more yeah. people, you know, more people on the bus. Um, how do you cookbook that? How do you even begin to think about your, your needs for um, building out certain positions or departments? Yeah, so I mean, it starts with your business plan, right? And your vision, uh, your vision, then your business plan, where you um, lay out what you think your needs will be if you achieve your vision and start to uh, bullet point what some of those needs would be. And then you build an organizational chart 
We talk about that in uh, the first chapter, um, getting out of the hourglass, where you know you have an organizational chart where maybe you're in every box. Oh yeah. Or maybe some boxes are empty, um, but maybe you, you plan on when you're going to fill them, and then and you just work your way backwards, um, and you determine what your needs are going to be, and but you made you said the right thing. It's got to be a cookbook. You. You can't just say, oh, I want to hire people. Like that to me has never been enough. It just never does it. It's always like, well, then what? Everybody seems to say that first thing, but no one ever be able, no one's always able to figure out the next thing. And the next thing is the most important thing, which is like, what are you going to do about it? Right. And that's what we'll we'll talk a little bit about today. Um, you know, how you can, as an owner of a company or as an HR director of a company or as a any person in leadership of a company influence how the company grows um, by brains and bodies, mm-hmm. by the people and the smart people that join. And then they don't just join, but they, they bring them full selves, right? That term quiet quitting. Um, yeah, that's a term these days. It's a term, yeah. And that's, it really just stands for like zero engagement, right? Yes. And that's kind of a negative. We want to talk about like full engagement. Totally. Yeah. So um, that's the goal is full engagement. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And I want to make just a quick point. You know, we say the, the word hiring cookbook um, and, and, you know, that is a way it, it connects to um, the same terms that we use in, you know, building a budget for an organization, um, you know, looking at, at at the year, the 12 months of how are yeah. we going to hit a revenue goal? So how many leads do we need to come in? Yeah. We use that term in the same way with the hiring cookbook, how many feet on the street at this sales rate do we need to be producing the, the and, and meeting those revenue goals, right? Yeah. Um, so it all comes back to the the the, the focus that we have here um, and you have of looking at things through a financial lens. Like it, they're all connected. What we talk about here is all interconnected in, in some way and we can all kind of drive it back to um, the core importance of having a plan and understanding why we're doing the things we're doing. Yeah, and then writing it down and communicating it to to whoever's on your team thus far and really getting everybody to understand and buy in. Oh, so powerful. That's really the key part. I mean, it's it's not even, if you don't do that part, then everybody is just working on their own independently and you don't have the benefits of that teamwork. Right. That teamwork is so much fun. So yeah, so we do have uh, directives and goals. Uh, for personnel, people we want to hire so we can grow the team. Right now, we are looking for field managers. We're looking for salespeople. um, And we're looking for, um, uh, obviously, lots and lots of painters and apprentices, um, just to name a few. I mean, there'll be others that we'll need along the way. But those are sort of our priority needs. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that's always a prior. There's always a priority need um, because ultimately growth is what we're trying to do because growth creates um, positive activity and positive opportunity for everybody. And people like being part of a growth organization. And I know they must struggle a little bit with, you know, why do we have to grow so hard? Um, but the reality of it is without growth, um, we don't have opportunity for people. We right now have job leaders with nobody to lead because we don't have enough apprentices. Now we're about to change all that. 
Right. But those job leaders want us to grow. And if we don't grow, then we can't give them the opportunity that they're really hoping for. And um, so we, they know that, we know that, and now we got to do it. Yeah, we're, we live in a world now where we, got, we, I don't say we live in a world now, but there really is a focus on helping our, our the leaders on our, on our team or our employees on our teams continue to develop. We want to develop the whole person, right? And because that's a part of making them want to stay. And that's a part of getting their engagement level high is knowing that you care about their success. There's no um, question about it. The A players, they're looking for opportunity. And if you're not growing and providing opportunity for A players, you just simply won't ha- attract them. And you might even lose the ones you have. We don't so, want to do that. Yeah, no. So we try to create that world where an A player can thrive. And that's what we're thinking about. So talk to me about your system for hiring, for bringing on new folks. Yeah, so um, what we've done is we took a written out system with I don't know how many steps, I don't know, 40, 30 steps, something like that. And then we've, and we've sped it up. Um, and that was largely due to... Um, the hiring challenges over the last few years. Um, we used to say um, hire slow and fire fast. Oh yeah. That worked for a lot of years. And that 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 was just a, a sort of an internal mantra to take your time on the hiring process, make sure you make a good hire, dot all your I's, cross up your T's, all your T's, make sure you, um, you do the background checks, um, Make sure you do the uh, reference checks. Make sure you do a really good interview. If necessary, a second interview. That's slowing the process down, right? Mm-hmm. That process normally by being slow will weed people out. There's a lot of pause and reflect and choose in that. And it, it generally is a good way to hire. Having said that, um, it got to be the point recently where you know while we were doing that, people were moving they were taking other jobs. So we said we needed to be faster. So everything now is just sped up. So it's higher fast, which means we, we we're looking, as soon as they apply for a job online, we are calling them within the hour. So and that's big. That to me, big. that's the yeah. higher fast part. Cause I, I know when you say higher fast, fire fast, you're not saying it with the condition of, um, skipping over some of the important parts no. of of the interview and the background check because we 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 don't we we don't want to take away things that can really impact the company. Yeah, um, no, I have too many stories of bad hires that have really negatively affected the company. You know, people you hired that were professional injury ex workers comp injury people that and and we didn't do good background reference checks and sure enough when we finally did we found out that they were professionals at this and had had done workers comp fraud and things like this. So so I do know that the reference checks and the background checks are absolutely critical and cannot be skipped. Um, But what we're doing is we're doing them quicker. We're not dragging our feet on any of the steps. Mm -hmm. So after the person is interviewed um, on the phone, after they've already made their they've already made the application, there's a quick little phone interview we're already starting to take information and doing some of these reference checks just to get the ball rolling. Yeah. Meanwhile, a full-fledged interview will be scheduled for the following day or the next day on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we may, in fact, hire somebody without a background check coming back yet. 
um, but we'll have done the reference checks and we'll um, give them either a hiring contingent upon a clear background check. Okay. Of course, we'll ask them about their background. And if they have anything to report, we'll note it. Um, but, um, or we may wait, we may wait for the background check to come back. Um, and that might take a week and we may lose them. Um, and we may make that decision based upon the candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have also hired people. Um, and just before they started, the background check came back negative and canceled it. So that all can happen now much quicker than it used to. And that whole process used to take two to three weeks. And just because of us being more streamlined, it's now, it's quicker. Our online application is only a couple of questions and a person on the phone, we have a recruiter that we're hiring seasonally. That person will help them fill out the rest of the questions to get that information and start working on it. So that's that's the fast part. Now the fire fast, Mm. means if you made a mistake, you do something about it quickly. That's what that means. Don't let it linger. Don't let it linger. If you realize that the employer employee is a bad hire or maybe not even, maybe just a, a so-so hire, in those first, that's first week or two weeks, uh, you need to make a decision because those first two weeks are going to be the honeymoon period. Mm-hmm. And if it's not good then, it generally, whatever situations were negative, get worse over the period of time. So Brian and I have talked about in a previous podcast, um, you know, that employee onboarding experience and the success of setting that up correctly. And in in part of that, it's about, you know, those first couple of weeks and being able to gauge the success trajectory of that individual. And if they can't prove a certain number of things to you within those first two weeks, Time, time to part ways. Yeah, we've even gotten we've even gotten more and more um, and put more and more emphasis on that over the last few years. You know, we do a behavior profile in the first two weeks. All we're trying to do is see if they are a behavioral fit. We're not trying to see if they have skills mm-hmm. or, or if they've learned any skills. We're, we want to see if they're a behavior fit, willing to learn, follow yeah. directions. You know, those are behavioral things. So if, the, if they are punctual and they have good communication skills and are friendly and are willing to learn and they follow directions, we have a behavioral fit. And we do that survey um, and we use smiley faces um, mm-hmm. and a report gets sent to me and others in the HR department. I'm a new employee um, and we were looking for smiley faces. And if not, then we've got a problem. Also, in that first two-week period, we're, we're looking to schedule an orientation. And in, and in a lot of cases, this might be the first time I've actually set eyes on the person. And um, so not to micromanage a situation, but I need to feel good about the employee, don't I? I'm the, I mean, I'm the owner of the company and mm-hmm. I'm running the company or John and me have been doing, John, the president has been doing orientations with me over the last year or so. Um, he needs to feel good about these people um, because we want our customers to feel good about these people. Right. And if our customers don't 
if I can't feel good about them, how can our customers feel good about them? Right. They're going into into customers' homes and you want, you know, that yeah. trust to be established. Yeah. Now, the things you you, talk, you just mentioned here are mostly for a particular um, job type, those folks working in the field. I would imagine that because, um, you know, the higher, you know, hiring for attitude and good behavior or you know behavioral fit and the willingness to learn, you teach, you can teach the skills. Now, when you're looking to hire a field manager or a, a sales a sales rep, obviously you're, you're changing a little bit the dynamics of what you're looking for. There has to be some skill and experience yes, in absolutely. place. Yeah. So you, you you have probably some different processes depending upon yeah. the level. So one of the things I've come to realize is it's uh, I've said this is it's easier to hire somebody um, who knows how to manage and teach them how to paint than it is to hire someone who knows how to paint and teach them how to manage. Um, so it can be done, but um, we're looking for actual skills. If we're looking for someone in sales, mm -hmm. we're looking for actual skills if we're hiring someone as a manager, whether it be managing um, in HR or whether it be managing in um, managing people in the field. Um, we're looking for people who can show us a track record of having done that. So when we and we ask them questions about their track record, we want to hear actual answers, not hypothetical answers, not not the way they like to treat people or the way they like to communicate or the way, you know, they like to um, give orders or give feedback, but actual times when they've given feedback and it didn't go well or other times they've given feedback and it did go well. Mm -hmm. And what did they learn from that? And I wanna hear actual stories with names of people and dates and things like that. Um, because it's very easy to tell me what you think I want to hear. Yeah. But if I can hear from your track record, what you've actually done, um, it's a lot more helpful. So in those situations, you know that level of employer looking to hire, um, is so, the higher is this, is it a slower hire? Yeah, process? I would say it's a slower hire, but I think you need to be cognizant from the you know just from what's happening in the economy, you know how fast this thing is moving. Like, yeah. is are you are you dragging your feet? Is it going to take a week, a month, two months, three months? Uh, if you can't, if you have someone good, you're going to have to move fast, and you're going to have to suspect and make some. Uh, hunches that they're that they're you know really strong candidate and you're going to have to be aggressive and fast on the whole process. And um, what about you know setting the expectation up front with these candidates that are coming in. Hey look, we are looking to have someone start within the next 3 weeks. These are the, the we're going to you know so there might feel like it's a little bit of a longer time frame or hiring in the next four weeks, but you've given them the expectation upon when you're making a decision, when they could plan to start so that they might hang on a little bit longer or not jump away. Cause you, yeah. you're communicating with them as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, everybody, when I talk to somebody, they, they're always, I mean, it just happens to be part of my style and the company style, our transparency. Um, but they always are very appreciative of the transparency. Like if you call me, I'll return your call. If, if you yeah. want to know where we are in the process, I'll tell you. Um, if you want to know what I thought about your about the interview, I'll I'll tell you. Um, so um, yeah, the transparency is really important, and it's part of getting people that like that that belong to your same company. Like that's who you want. You know, you use your values 
as a filter. We've talked about this. Use your values as a filter to hire people. And so, you know, our values are accountability. So I'm looking the stories. I'm looking for stories when I interview somebody about accountability. Tell me when you made a mistake and what you did about it. Um, and then I'm looking for stories about um, friendliness, or I'm looking for someone who's very, very friendly. Um, those are two of our core values. And if they don't, if they're not friendly and don't appear to be accountable, they're not going to be a fit in our company. It's a great tool, a great tool yeah. to to run somebody through kind of that that filter. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if if several if there's several people who are on the hiring team. Um, and I want to jump to that to that next. Um, being able to kind of meet in the middle there and say, okay, I feel this way. I feel this way. Let's run them through the values filter and see where they land. Yeah. Um, yep. So the, the, the role of hiring and the role of HR in an organization, I mean, to do the things that you're recommending and the, to have the system in place requires someone to own, to own that job, to own that role. Right. I mean, so how do you have to invest in in HR, you have to invest in this system, I would imagine, to be able to do this right. Absolutely. You know, one of the mistakes I made um, being a late bloomer in this business, um, just sort of getting, you know, learning lots over the last few years was waiting too long to hire somebody for HR. Um, and it just seemed to me like a lot of money and I could do it myself. I was pretty good at it. Um, and then, of course, I've shared the story about being um, being uh, audited by Homeland Security and uh, realizing that the I-9s forms were filled out wrong um, like half the time. Um, it was because my bookkeeper was the one taking the I-9 forms. I mean, we had over 100 people and I had a bookkeeper, you know, taking the I-9 forms or administering them. Mm -hmm. And um, so the I-9 form is a pretty complicated form. Um, you have three days to do it. You're not supposed to touch it after three days. Um, and um, if anything's wrong, there's a $1,000 fine for each I-9 that's wrong. So, or missing. It's costly. Very costly. So we, yeah. were, we had $155,000 worth of fines. Um, and I think we, we did negotiate it down, but spent a lot of money on legal fees. Um, but the you know, that's the hard costs of HR. The the really soft costs that are even more expensive was just our inability to excel in a lot of the hiring areas. So you said it before, the, the way we make our money in our business is feet on the street. It's mm -hmm. how many people can we keep busy in a productive, profitable manner. And so, so that's the big issue is, do we keep 50? Do we keep 100? Do we keep 150? Those are all how we scale. And um, so it's just, it's so hard to scale past 50 or 100 without dedicating huge resources to HR. I just don't think it can be done yeah. without making lots of mistakes um, and frankly, just doing a mediocre job. So my recommendation would be to invest heavily into HR. It's probably the single biggest function I still do in the company, even though I have a director, my daughter now Colleen is director and she is spectacular. Mm -hmm. um, and having said that, it's still probably my biggest emphasis because um, how many people we hire determines our fate for the year and how they produce, what results they produce determines our fate for the year. 
So um, yeah, so it's super duper important. You know, the weekly meeting again, like so many of these, these disciplines, we have a weekly meeting on HR, we work off an agenda, how many people are in the pipeline to be hired, what's our goal to hire for this month, what about these some of these specialty jobs that we're looking for, where are we there, the salesperson, the field manager, you know, has the application been posted, um, how many responses are in, where are we in the process. Um, that's just managing it over the long haul. And so that, you know, you know, you don't lose your mind. You have a pace that you can ultimately. Totally. Yeah. And so obviously you know, from a, a context perspective, I'm, so you're involved in it. You, Colleen is the director of HR and it's her whole world. She yeah. also has a team um, of at least one or two folks that, that help yeah. her in yeah. the process. Um, and then there's tools that and software that you all utilize as well. So there is yeah. a core investment um, being, being directed in, into this function. Well, and then yeah, not to mention recruiting expenses, I mean, last year we we spent a hundred thousand dollars on recruiting, um, either geofencing, advertising online, um, and um, supporting um, high schools. I've done I've done podcasts on that with you. Yep. And, uh, and we're doing that again this year. We're going to we sponsor twenty two high schools, where we sponsor something at the school, whether it's a, a scoreboard or whether it's an ad in one of their plays. Um, we are looking to be to enter these schools and be on their job boards and, and all of that. So that's a huge effort. It, it is not inexpensive. Um, but the, the we had a great year last year. Um, and the reason is, is because we actually surpassed our feet in the street goals, which meant that we surpassed our revenue goals. Nice. Um, and that is Really, if I could do that every year, um, you know, we would just keep on growing and growing. Um, and from from a, a hiring or just a, you know a context of the size of your business, what you know, what was where did you land? What was your highest feet on the street last year? Our highest feet on the street was one hundred and nine, I believe. Okay, yeah. so so listener, so one hundred and nine feet on the street plus management and yes. office staff. Yes. Okay. Plus about 30, 30 plus people on management and staff and uh, sales. Yes. So I want to hi- I want to highlight that because so the you know how we're talking about investing in HR the the people um, that need to are running the function who are running the systems running the tools. So for about one hundred and forty employees in a company. So I, I highlight that mainly because from a listener standpoint and a future reader of of the book. Folks are going to be coming in or from and from different vantage points of you know having five feet on the street, you know, and or or 10 total employees up to five, six hundred plus. And so understanding across the board, this function is important, that their investment in is in it is important. The range of investment will vary based upon the size of your organization. But as you grow, that investment needs to grow. With it, you need to be, you know, pushing more energy and money into your building your team. Well, I mean, absolutely. Otherwise, your competition is going to eat your lunch because there's going to be people that figure it out. Yeah, and they're going to they're going to grow stronger and better. I mean, we didn't talk yet about really the demographics of the situation going forward. It is kind of dire, to be honest with you. Um, so. 
you know, I was funny. My we used to talk. I used to talk about millennials and hiring millennials, and yeah. you, you, you were you're a millennial. And I am. You, you, and I kept talking about it and talking about it. And I was these, these millennials, these millennials, they don't want to work. All all these things, and I was like, I like millennials. Hey. I've always oh, okay. liked millennials. I saw them as a target to hire. Okay, okay. There was millions of them, and I like millennials to hire. Um, but but they're gone now. They they you can hire them for sales. You can hire them for management, but I don't think you can hire them for apprentices anymore. Like because not. they've grown up. You're uh, in Gen Z land now. Yes. So so Generation Z, and once I, when I talk about these generations, I'm not talking about their behaviors or their. I'm just talking about quantity of how many there are. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. significantly less Gen Z than there were millennials. Um, I think somewhere along that neighborhood of 80 million versus 65 million. Okay. So there's less um, Gen Zs. Um, and there's also less immigrants. Immigration mm-hmm. has gotten more and more difficult over the 40 years I've been in business. Um, historically, I was able to hire immigrants. Mm-hmm. And then that became more and more problematic. Obviously, in 2013, Homeland Security cracked down on me, like I mentioned, and now I can't fool around at all. Yeah. So I have to hire, they, I need them to be e-verified and they need to be, um, no question about it, I have to make sure that they're, um, they have uh, permission to work. So the pool of the people to hire is significantly less than it was. And, um, and I have um, high aspirations of growing the company. So it means that I can't do what I used to do. I got to do something much more aggressive and, and invest like we've been talking about in next level recruiting, next, you know, put much more energy into it because I need an answer. I want to grow. There's less people to hire. I want to win that bad. Um, I believe I offer a better job than almost any other entry level opportunity out there for a young person. So you're transitioning really nicely into my next question, Kev, is how do you, how are you creating a good job? How are you creating something that um, a young person will want to apply to, will want to stay? What, what's attractive about the job and how are you, how are you selling it? Well, that's exactly good a question we've been asking ourselves for two years now, over and over again. And it's the right question to ask yourself, how are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. It's not, why can't I hire people? That's the question with no answer. The question is, is what are you going to do about it? And so we have decided to make it a better job. That was like the first thing is, you know, decide that, um, that we were going to get to somebody to $20 an hour after working at our company for one year. So you can have no experience. And if you make it through our program, one year's time, you will be making $20 an hour. If you are not, it's because you're struggling and we're probably not gonna invite you to stay past that year. So you will make the $20 an hour if you're here and you'll have great benefits, you know, we have a healthcare plan that's very, very generous. We have a 401k with a match. Uh, we have generous paid time off. Um, 
And we have- Don't you have gym reimbursements? We have gym reimbursements. We have um, free lunch Fridays. Yeah, all good things. Yeah, Um, everybody gets free lunch on Friday. They they buy their lunch and they submit a reimbursement. It gets paid for. Um, We do uh, known adventures every month. We have activities that are free to employees and their families to sign up and go to. It turns out that all these things, um, they do cost extra money. But the, the benefits outweigh the costs. Um, and then really, during this period of inflation, um, we've been able to charge our customers for all of this. If they want us to come and paint their house, um, you know, and, they, and they want it done reasonably quickly, and, they, and they're, um, they want it done right, they're going to have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And we have found that customers are willing to pay for it. So, um, so yeah, so we've made a much better job. Being a painter now is um, a good job. We can teach how to be a painter in one year. Um, and during the course of that year, there are some benchmarks, right? We talked about the first one after two weeks. So after two weeks, you pass the behavior profile. Mm-hmm. Um, that's called the green book. You pass that green book. Um, it's, not, it's not a green and it's not a book. It just used to be called the green book. and now. It, it's just, that's what we call it. Um, and then 90 day, there'll be a re- performance review. And that performance review um, will be, you either get a raise um, or, we, or we say it's not a good fit. So we either give you a raise and a promotion or we suggest that it's not a good fit and we'll have to part company friends. Um, there's a couple of rare occasions where we've given them a week or two probation to uh, see if they can't correct some issues maybe they're having. Um, I mean, we're, you know, we're not heartless, um, but we're just setting clear expectations and holding people accountable. Yeah, well, at the end of the day, you, I mean, you want it to be a win-win. You want this individual to be employed. You want their success. Um, You want them to develop. You want them to have a job. Um, And incidentally, I can't want it more than they do. No, you can't. And and them being... An employee is in, is important to the you know the growth of the business and being able to produce and like you said having more feet on the street helps you hit your goals so it's you want people to succeed this is like yes. the, the 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 success is an, is genuine on both sides of the table yes um, but if it's not the right fit they just don't it's there's no point in keeping somebody on in the wrong seat on the bus as we often say. Like for multiple reasons, whether they just can't hit it from a skill perspective, they don't bring good culture. You don't want that toxic that toxic culture spreading. Um, that's that fire fast component. But you've given them the opportunity to to at least show show themselves. No question about it. Yep, it's your culture. You need to make sure that they are part of it and not creating anything on their own. When it comes to a management side of the business or, um, or you know, mid-level management, so we talked about the field managers and the sales reps, how are you making, and, and those, as we mentioned earlier, um, you are looking for people who have, who have skills, who have experience, who can speak to real life experiences where they showed, um, you know, traction, what they can do. How do you um, kind of handle that from a, a, an attractive standpoint of, of pulling them in? Because hiring for certain positions can be sometimes easier than others. So how are you getting a, 
how are you getting into the pool of potential sales candidates and field candidates? I would imagine there's similarities, but maybe differences in how you're making a job look attractive. Yeah, I mean, our sales is um, heavily incentivized for um, like 50% of your salary is base pay, which is generous. A lot of times salespeople have to, almost all their money comes from commission. Um, but we we don't want them to be money-driven. We want them to be cultural-driven. And so um, so we, we give them half of their pay would come from a base pay. Um, and then the other half would come from hitting a target on a monthly basis um, that um, they, they, they achieve a, you know, the, a full year in advance. Uh, we've had to come make a couple of adjustments if the target seemed wrong for whatever reason, but we typically put out a full year's worth of targets and we call that a quota. And so we spell this all out and, and we let people know how they can be successful in it. And like you said before, we want them to be successful in it. Right. Like if they don't hit their quotas and don't hit their goals, then, then they're not, it's not working out. So we need them. We do whatever we can to get them to hit their, their quotas and goals. Um, and then, you know, for, for like, um, for field managers, um, it's really about knowing that they have, um, some autonomy, um, so, you know, we talk about cascading communication. Mm -hmm. um, cascading communication means that we're clear in our expectations um, and we're transparent about everything that has to happen. And um, we try to be fair in what we expect from people. Um, and then we back off and we don't micromanage. I, I always knew that micromanaging would if anybody tried to micromanage me, I struggle. So yeah. I'm really careful not to micromanage anybody else. So um, so I always tell people I'm not going to micromanage you. I, I say it both as to let them know, but also to be affirming to myself, like don't micromanage. And if if I start doing it, they need to tell me that you're you know I can handle it. Um, but yeah, so you you tell them what's expected, and then you have to hold them accountable when. Um, when it does not work. And if it does work, which you're obviously expecting, um, then you have to uh, both uh, recognize, reward, incentivize. So these, I always say that if you were to hire 10 people, three of them would be absolutely awesome and superb. I'm assuming that we're lucky here. We get three absolutely <laughs> great people that are gonna follow the plan they like with the opportunity that you've presented. Six of them are um, probably going to do a fine job. Um, they like what they hear. They, they, they're paying attention to what the, the other three are doing. Um, they're they, the three being the A players, the six being the B players. And then there's going to be one person that's going to be a negative, that's probably not happy. Um, and you need to help them find a job at another company. Um, and the sooner that you sort of realize that, that um, that separation of folks, then you'll start to treat people a little differently. You'll treat A players like A players, B players like B players, and you'll fire C players. Um, so let's start with the A players. Um, we don't we don't complain to A players about what Bs and Cs are doing. We we tell A players they're doing great. We don't even let 
A players um, know that Bs and Cs are getting away with anything. Um, all they know is that the company is running great and they're a part of it. And there's no speaking to the choir about why people are late. There's no discussions about why some people don't work as hard as others. That's not what A players want to hear. A players want to hear opportunity and you got to give it to them. And then you give it to them both in responsibility and you also give it to them in compensation. You make sure you treat A players really good. You don't, you don't sneak up and try to catch A players doing things wrong. I mean, they're great. They're part yeah. of your team and you love them and they feel the love. And boy, when you get to that point, then you really start to enjoy the game. When you start to have a couple of comrades in arms, a couple of people that care as much as you do, as Brian says, shares the insomnia. Yep. They worry about things in the business. At that point, um, it's very empowering. And you realize that you can grow this thing, need more A players. The B players. So the B players, once again, we don't rant and rave to the B players. We don't complain about what the C players are doing or other B players are doing. Um, all we do is make sure that they know what you get when you're an A player and how, um, how much opportunity there is if they ever decide to become an A player. Um, you're grateful them for them in their role as B players. We need B players. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them, we don't even try to, um, we don't even try to go out of our way to over-engage because they don't want to be over-engaged. That doesn't mean they have to, that they're negative or have a, a negative culture connotation or anything like that. It just means that um, you, don't, you don't want to go crazy trying to motivate them um, because it could be a waste of your efforts. Motivate the A players, inspire the A players so they can motivate themselves. Um, make sure that the compensation is right um, for the A's and the B's so you don't lose any of those people. Would this be like the rock stars versus the superstars? Um, the book is not coming to my to me, but the rock stars being those folks who are just good at what they do, they're happy, you know, showing up every day and getting sure. their job done versus the superstars are the people who just want to grow, want that next opportunity. Yes. And you yeah, have, you, I mean, have you wouldn't treat them all the same. Why right. treat them all the same? Yeah. Everybody's different. Um, and um, some B players just want to show up, go to work every day, and they want to put in 40 hours, and they want to go home and not think about work. Um, I've heard that many times. Yeah, so it's it's Kim Scott's Radical Candor book yes. where she highlights rock star versus superstar and how you need both on your team. Like you just said, you're grateful for those B players. They right. they're they are really really important, but it's important to identify as you just have been saying, yeah. you have to identify who is who and how you treat them differently. Right. So you you have a C player on your team. This one person out of every 10 um, and you need to confront them. So when they don't show up at a meeting, when they show up late, um, you're, you're, the boss is confronting them. The, their senior person is confronting them. Um, in rare occasions, I would go down one or two and confront them myself. Um, and I would say, what's your problem? And I would direct, be direct with them. I would still be friendly and not argumentative, 
Um, but I would stand my line and let them know that the um, A players and the B players are doing the right thing and they're not, that there's not room for them here. Um, it's just really important not to complain at a meeting that people aren't showing up. Rather, who's not showing up? Go to them. Yeah. And talk to them. It's amazing when you shine the light on that person. Like if they get a phone call right after a meeting that they didn't make from me, um, like they're quivering. They're like, what? What? This is why is Kevin? Conflict. Why is Kevin Nolan calling? This is direct <laughs> confrontation. I'm not used to that. I'm used to yeah. passive, passive yeah. confrontation. Um, and I, you know, I, I tend to be in a not a, not a passive aggressive, but an aggressive aggressive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I always do. If anybody knows Kevin Nolan? <laughs> I do everything in a friendly way because that's the yes. filter, value filter. Yes. Um, Fair. But I, it's just so much easier when you have this clear picture about how to approach these things. So you spend no time with either internal or external dialogue with coworkers about an individual and how are we gonna get this person to do this? Um, which is, it happens, right? We, we talk about you know, individual performance plan, improvement plans and things like that. Um, and all those things have their place. Um, we typically find that when we are talking about somebody too much, that it's time for them to go. Like that has been, I'll say we're talking about them too much and someone else will say, you're right. It's time for them to go. It's like, we all know this. It's now part yeah. of how we sort of understand the dynamics of these thousands of conversations you have about employees and what they did and why they did it. And do they care or did they? Yeah. I mean, when you've been in business for as long as you have and have, you know, grown teams to large large sizes, you've seen the gamut of, of situations. I think it was last November. She was saying, and I think she'd been here six years or seven years, but she was saying that she had hired her 500th person. Wow. Um, And go uh, Colleen. Colleen. And I've been at it for 43 years. So you can do the math. I don't know. It's it's thousands now at this point. Yeah. Um, And um, so I I do want to touch on that. Um, one of the things that I've always been concerned about is that I would meet somebody who worked for me or meet somebody's parents who worked for me. And they would say that it was a terrible experience. And they were mistreated by somebody. Hmm. To me, that's always just been, well, it's just like if somebody said, you painted my house and you did a terrible job, I would, it would be terrible. But that is um, less likely to happen with all the systems built in and they had to pay you and all that. So chances are that any problems would have, you would have found out about. Um, but a lot of people quit and they do quietly quit in the sense that they don't always tell me what they, the reason they quit. Um, and they may not be right in their assumptions about the company, but nonetheless, I wanna make sure that we did the right thing and that we treated people right. And um, whatever we do, we want to give people honest feedback in a timely manner. Um, and we want to make sure that, that they know what doing a good job is. Um, we want to catch people doing the right things and then get them to do more of that. Um, but if they don't, then we want to let them know. Um, and if we're going to let someone go, we're going to do it in a friendly way. We're, 
we're just not going to do this in a way. We appreciate what they did while they were here, um, even if if some along the way they did something that was bad. You know, they stole from the company. It doesn't matter. Okay, we're going to let them go. We're going to be totally respectful. Um, we're not going to say anything that we feel bad about, that we feel is mean. Um, and I train everybody that way. And that's just taking the higher road. That was my next question, because obviously this is, you feel very passionate about this, but when you have a large team of man of management who are responsible for, for the development and the training and, and the giving feedback, you have, you know, being able to, to train on this, to, to cascade this, this, this vision of how people are treated down, um, is, is not easy, but it's critical. Yes. Right, right before I got on this phone call, I was talking to a supervisor about about a team member, and you know we were we were talking about how they need to be be more accountable to the people that report to them, and we were having this dynamic that we've talked about hundreds of times. This individual we've talked about a lot as well, um, and so it's very real. Um, mm-hmm. They're not, it's never that simple as I try to make it sound. <laughs> yeah. But part of it is just to be clear in your head about your expectations um, and about what you're going to do when they're not met. Um, that That's really the guiding force here is to be very, very clear and transparent on one of our values um, and um, not to tolerate because, um, you know, it's really not what you say, it's what you tolerate, right? So we tolerate somebody being late all the time. We tolerate somebody doing sloppy work all the time. That's what we, that's what we are. We tolerate it. So we need to make sure that they're following, you know, our standards, not the ones we tolerate. So, right. Um, one of the other points that I wanted to make is you're trying to build a team, um, and I talk about this in my chapter, um, is the visioning for others. You know, we'll have conversations about people's um, plans, what they expect out of life, um, what they would like to do here in the future. Yeah. And I think it's important to help people in that aspect. Totally. Um, so, you know, I'll, when I get somebody good, that A player, I told you, I grab them and I pull them aside and say, hey, you're an A player. And I start, I start giving them all kinds of praise and confidence and attention because they're an A player. They don't come along that often. Only 30% of the time they come along from the ones you even hired. So uh, treat them differently. Uh, the, you know, the law gives you some, the law gives you some, rules around discrimination. So be careful around that. Um, but you can treat A players differently than B players. Um, well, doesn't it come down to that whole, like you look at the values matrix too. We're investing in the people that we want to grow. Instead of investing our time in the C players, we are investing our time in A players. A players. And it. that's often something that it it's, it's a mind shift a lot yes. of people think this person needs a lot of help. This person, I don't know if they're going to make it. I'm going to really dedicate my time to making them oh better. My gosh. But you are so right. That's so not the that, right 
that is the right so way. The standard answer. That is so the standard answer that you think about. How can I fix what's broken? Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go work with the weak players and build them up. Right. Um, the problem is, is the weak players will break your heart. You'll yeah. work with them and they'll break your heart again. You'll work with them and they'll break your heart again. You work with the A players and you won't. You can't believe the freedom that you're going to get. You can't believe the new heights that you'll achieve by getting other people to do more and more and more because they're strong and capable. So yeah, absolutely work with the A players and, and paint a vision for them of the future that, um, that they buy. So like, um, you know, we, we do, you know, we do a mix of pay for performance bonuses and a mix of, of um, regular straight pay. Um, and, you know, it's good to make sure you're paying people well, um, but while you're paying them well, you can also talk to them about paying them more. Um, I'm not afraid to talk about money. I literally talk about money. I literally say, you know, I know you make, I know you make $70,000 a year. Would you like to make a hundred thousand a year? And they'd be like, what? Yeah. I mean, of course, so, of course we do. <laughs> they do. Yeah. So why not paint a picture for them? of how they could make six figures. So I've done that time and time again. And do they all make it? No, but a lot of them do. And um, we need them to see a future here. We need them to feel, feel like, yes, I can, I can buy a house, I can buy a car, I can save money, I could save money for retirement, I could save money to send my kids to school. Um, I don't have to work two jobs. My wife and me each don't have to work two jobs. Um, you need to paint a vision, but then you got to tell them what to do, like how they're going to do it. You well, and ha having that having that conversation, just even asking them, hey, this is where you're at. You know, is this where you'd like to be? And most people are going to want to get there. You're also going to find out, though, who is money driven versus who is not. Maybe something else is really important to them and they want to be able to be able to achieve that. So yeah. health. How can you help them, whether it's growing their compensation or helping them buy home? You know, what, what is it that is their goal? And that comes, we, we do on the NCG side, we have that, the formal um, individual development plan, IDP for short, we do a lot with our clients. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, a, it's, it's having those conversations, those touch points and understanding. Yeah, because that, that IDP is just a tool and it's a it's very a tool. big tool. Yes. But it's it's about having that conversation. Yeah. And getting real with that person and finding out what they want and how you can help them get it. Because you know, my one of my favorite saying, sayings from Zig Ziglar is you can get anything you want in the world of help other people get what they want. And you know, I talk about that being a superpower. So, you know, like I I I fill up my bank and now I need to go out and fill other people's bank. Right. You know, and that's really what it comes down to is I worry about filling other people's bank and then they fill my bank. And that's that's a change in mindset mm -hmm. um, that the sooner you realize that, the, the sooner you start to build that that amazing team that you're looking for. Um, they can, they realize that you care about them. They'll care about you. Right. Right. And to kind of bring us full circle, I mean, the title of the chapter is, you know, collecting brains and bodies and, and building the team. Well, you invest in building the team, but then you want the team to remain a team. So how are we getting them in the door? And then how are we keeping them there? Yep. Um, because 
Yeah, the, re- the retention um, is a critical and, component. And the engagement. They're, they're two things together. So how retention, how long they stay, and then how engaged were they while they stayed? That's pretty critical as well. Yeah. So you've got a couple factors that you could work on. But getting people engaged, you know, I've talked about money and I've talked about benefits and all, but, you know, just even giving somebody responsibility and then watching them handle it, whether it's they run a committee, um, they do a project, you know, they run a function of the company, what, letting them do that and then watching them, you're giving them autonomy, maybe some coaching, maybe having a weekly follow-up meeting. Because, you know, I'm not naive. I don't just like give people projects and then disappear. That would be called uh, abdicating responsibility. Um, I delegate responsibility, but delegating means I follow up because who's responsible ultimately? I'm responsible ultimately. So now I'm you're helping me do a job. I delegated it to you. Now you're doing the job. Um, if you do a great job, I don't have to check on you anymore because I trust you. You, you, you handle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you don't, then I have to follow up. And if that happens often, then I obviously I haven't chosen the right person. So that's, so that, that crystal clear thinking I'm taught, I'm saying there, that doesn't change the dynamics of the day to day and how everything fits in that, in that filter is, is, is really where the rubber hits the road and the problems. Um, but if you're very clear that I delegate, um, I, I support, um, I follow up and I back away, um, that's going to, that's going to help you through most of the situations. Um, because ultimately what you want to do is you want somebody to know that that's not your job anymore. It's their job. And then you can continue to fill other boxes. We talked in the beginning about boxes. Yep and filling them in your company and getting other people to do them. Um, you know, like right now, um, I'm spending this net last year or so uh, pulling away from the CEO job. Um, and I have John Meyer, who's the president. And um, right now I'm, I'm letting him learn how to uh, make decisions. Um, and then we're together, we're talking about the decisions about how it came out, but I'm, I'm getting out of the way so he can make the decisions. And then, but I'm not, I'm not advocating. I'm not advocating. The you're, not, you're not done yet. <laughs> I'm not done yet. There's uh, still some more time left on that. Uh, on that. Yeah. Thing. But the idea is, is to start to let somebody else learn how to, to accept this as their job yeah. and um, get them comfortable with some of these, these things. Well, Kev, I mean, it's, that's a great topic. It could, I know it's just a chapter in your book. It could certainly be a book on its own with Good all day. of the the components and the stories and, you know, the, the tools of how to approach. But um, for now, I think we, we leave it there and let, let people want more. There you go. Thanks. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Thanks, Kev. I appreciate it. As always, we will be back. Our next conversation will focus on marketing. And important to note here, we're talking about these topics that, you know, we're coming out with these episodes um, at different times of year, some of which you maybe have spent more time or you've already focused on your recruiting, you've already focused on your marketing. Um, but what, what we're talking about here is things that are relevant at all points. These are Absolutely. systems that are always part of your business. They all they deserve attention at all times. Um, so keep that in mind as you listen going forward. Uh, but Kev, till next time, thank you so much. 
Thanks very much. Visit my website, urbanizationalmuscle.com. My yes. book will be available September 1st, 2023. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.